Welcome to the KKCL ELT podcast. This is a podcast for anyone interested in the world of teaching English as a foreign language. I'm Phil Keegan, Director of Studies and Head of Teacher Training at Catherine and King's College of London. Episode 1, What Makes a Great Teacher? With me in the studio today is my colleague Will Corner. Will is an English teacher and a web designer. Today we thought we'd talk about what makes a great teacher. And the way we thought we could do that would be by talking about a teacher or maybe two or three teachers from the past who really inspired us in, in some way. Needn't be language teachers particularly, just teachers who inspired us and what it was about these teachers that inspired us. So, Will, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, the teachers I came up with, they're not language teachers. They're teachers from my past. They're quite different uh, sort of things that they were teaching. But um, as you say, like inspiration is a, is a big thing. And I, I think these teachers just managed to get enthusiasm over. So they inspired through their enthusiasm. The first uh, teacher that really I think I appreciated was my English literature teacher when I was in school for A-levels. And uh, that was Mr. Phillips. So a bit of a shout out to Mr. Phillips there. He was quite popular with uh, my friends, partly because he was quite approachable. He was funny. He made the, what we were learning sort of um, accessible. You know, with English literature, he didn't try and rarify it too much. He tried to like, apply it to our own lives. So, you know, that was one of, one of the things that he did. I think he tried to make us interested in it by putting jokes in or referencing, you know, what, what was going on in our lives at the time. Uh, and he was also a big fan of, you know, musicians like Bob Dylan, that kind of thing. So he had this sort of storytelling, folky vibe to him as well. And he, he tied that in with the whole idea of, you know, being into literature. And a lot of my friends, including myself, we, we like writing as well. And I think he encouraged that kind of creativity. So he was he was popular because he was he was genuinely interested in what he was teaching and because he tried to get that through to us in a in an approachable way he was uh he was not trying to talk down to us he, he was more somebody that we could relate to and i think that was a, an important thing as well it's interesting you mentioned your english literature teacher from secondary school because that's my first teacher as well all oh, right and my first teacher was a huge big fat woman called miss barry apologies for the use of the word fat there but she really was rather large uh, Miss Barry had uh, a similar thing to your teacher, Mr. Phillips. In huge enthusiasm for literature. I, I already loved literature myself anyway, but she just encouraged that love of literature. She was wonderful at reading to us. Even though we were 13, 14, 15, she would read us Shakespeare, read us prose, and she was brilliant at it. And she also encouraged creative writing. And one of my earliest memories from secondary school is when she picked out five stories to read that the class had written and mine was one of them and it was a story about how to play truant which we thought was very daring that we were allowed to write about playing truant I mean I don't remember any of us ever actually doing that but we could write about it and she read the stories out and she was so good at reading 
that it really made our stories come alive. She did the voices, she had the enthusiasm. Yes, she was a great, great teacher. She was quite formidable. If she got angry, you took cover. But wonderful enthusiasm for, for English and for literature and, and for creative writing. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely hear you with kind of enthusiasm. I've, I've, I've got one more teacher that I, I, I decided I'd, I'd talk about. It's a bit of an odd one. This is my karate instructor in Japan, uh, Ueda Sensei. And he, he was a, a very interesting, uh, quite colourful character in some respects. He was not very into the whole sort of traditional karate thing. Um, he'd done that, I think, but he, he didn't want to do that. He, he was more interested in sparring and going to uh, competitions and, and, and that kind of thing and, and, and you know, training quite hard. I, I think he'd been previously hanging around with a, a number of other higher level kind of black belt uh, figures. And when we came in, he, he sort of uh, took us in and he was very, again, he was very enthusiastic about encouraging us. And although we learned to treat him with a certain amount of respect because he was the sensei, that kind of thing, and there's this top-down sort of feel with, with some teachers, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't like that. In a way, by coming down to our level, by encouraging us, he managed to make us respect him. So then we did actually respect him as a teacher because he didn't kind of force that. And he did instill in us a real willingness to, to push ourselves. You know, if he said, keep it up or, you know, try your best, we would. And he, he did that through encouragement and, and through kind of coming down to our level. And I did appreciate that. And he did make me work harder than I maybe would have done if I'd been in a situation where the teacher was really strict all the time and there's always this threat of, you know, go and stand in the corner and that kind of thing, which you do get with martial arts. You, know, you go back to primary school and you know, some martial arts instructors are very much like that, that if you put a foot wrong, then you, you're going to um, regret it. So when I look back on a lot of my kind of discipline now, I think some of that what was back to that. was definitely definitely goes back to that. So he did he, what he did has stayed with me. Mm -hmm. And again, he didn't do it in a really explicit way. It was partly his character, partly his relaxed approach that he was at a certain stage where he wanted to do something. And and he would be criticised by a lot of other uh, martial arts instructors for being a bit slack. I think, but clearly for me, it was uh, it was useful that I did get something from that. Uh, I have another teacher too, and uh, before I talk about this teacher, I'll talk about learning French at secondary school, uh, which was in, in Kent in the southeast of England. When I started secondary school at 11, I'd never had the opportunity to learn foreign languages, and I was really excited about doing it. I thought learning foreign languages would really be the most exciting thing in the world. I don't remember where that enthusiasm or interest came from, None of my parents, no one in my family spoke any foreign languages. Um, I was just fascinated by the idea. When I heard people speaking foreign languages, I was really, really excited. I started French at the age of 11. The teaching was so bad, uh, the lessons were so boring and so dull, that within two years I had lost all of my enthusiasm for learning French. I won't name any names, but I had two or three teachers of French at secondary school. It was awful. It was boring. It was grammar lessons. It was repeating after the teacher. It was writing out verbs, je suis tu et il et elle est, and it was learning lists of vocabulary, not in context, just lists. And at the age of 16, I changed schools. I didn't like my secondary school. I changed schools to do more O-levels as they were at the time and A-levels. And due to a quirk in the timetable, I had to do French O-level. And... 
I'd lost interest in languages at this time because of the teaching at secondary school. So I went along to the first French class, quite fed up at the idea of having to do French again. And the teacher, I couldn't believe it, she was French, and her name was Madame Noël. And this woman was the most wonderful teacher. She was married to an Englishman, which is why she was in England, and she taught French O-level and French A-level. Within about four weeks, all of my enthusiasm and love for foreign languages was back. And it was fantastic, and I will never forget this woman, and I will always be grateful for giving me my love of languages back. She spoke to us in French. She chatted to us in French. If she wanted the window opened or closed, she said it in French. I couldn't believe it. We'd never done anything like that at school, really speaking the language. We'd only done drills and learning lists. She had a wonderful enthusiasm for French. She spoke other languages too, but obviously she was French and a French teacher. She, she did all sorts of interesting things with dictations, which I'd never seen before. She had poetry. She cut out articles from the newspaper. This is going back to 1976, so there was no internet or anything at this time. Mm. She would cut out cartoons from newspapers and help us use them. She would blot out the, uh, the text, and we had to write text. She did things that were, to me, absolutely revolutionary. And at the end of that year, having started the year as the worst French student in the class, I finished it as the best. I got a grade A in my old O-level French, and I went on to do A-level French, and would you believe it, went on to do a degree in French. Wow. None of that would have happened without Madame Noël, and I wish I knew where she was so I could get in contact with her and buy her the biggest bunch of flowers I could afford and say, thank you so much, you gave me my love of languages back, which had been destroyed at secondary school. And I still feel a bit bitter about the secondary school because at the age of 11, you could not have had a more motivated student in that French class that I started. I was so desperately keen to learn French and it took about a year year and a half to kill all that interest but the upside of this story is at 16 I had Madame Noel in the new school and she gave me that love back wow yeah well that, that is a big turnaround um, yeah but you know from what, what you say there it seems that what, one of the big things about these teachers is that they, they bring their subjects to life in yes. some way. I mean, that's a big thing. They don't treat the subject as some abstract thing that you teach from afar. It's when they bring their subjects sort of into your experience, they directly engage with real life yeah. as well. And then you've got something concrete to grasp onto. You don't treat it like it's just a subject in a classroom. Mm -hmm. You treat it as something that you're learning to use in, in life. Yes, and also in respect of language, I think, and this is getting now into our field, I suppose, language that you might actually need someday, language that might be useful to you. There's a famous comedian in England called Eddie Izzard, and he has a routine about French. And it's all about the monkey in the branch and mouses under the table. And he has a very funny routine about how he never needed to say these things when he went to mm. France because he never found any monkeys or never saw any sitting in trees that he could point to and say, Le singe est sous la branche. And that was what French was like for me at school. But when I went to Madame Noël, she was teaching us how to buy things in shops and so on. If you go to France, this is what you ask for. You don't ask for pain, you ask for une baguette and so on. And... That's what I think now about language teaching. Teach people things that they might need to say or might encounter and need to understand. I mean, another good example is when I moved to Turkey in 1989, I paid a, 
a Turkish English teacher, to teach me Turkish. And the first thing I could say in Turkish is, Ben mimar deilim. Hmm. And that means, I am not an architect. Now, I've been to Turkey probably 50 or 100 times. I'm married to a Turkish lady, so we go there quite a lot. I have never had to tell anyone that I'm not an architect. It's never come up. And I sometimes wonder, getting my ideas from the comedian Eddie Izzard, I should hang around some architect's offices in Turkey in a smart suit and bump into people and say, oh, no, sorry, ben mimar deilim. I'm not an architect, just so I can finally use this expression, which was the first sentence I could say in Turkish. Uh, yeah. This young lady who was very charming, it didn't occur to her to, to teach me to say, where's the bus stop? Can, you know, can I have something from this menu or whatever? It was, no, I'm not an architect. But I did learn it, and I can still say it. You know, there's that, that, that sense of kind of crazy phrasebook learning that you get with language sometimes, where there's a whole sentence which you would only use in a very, very specific yeah. kind of context. And yeah. Yeah, you kind of look around waiting to use it, and it never happens. Well, I think what this one young lady was doing, and it's okay, she was teaching a grammar structure, how to negate something. So I am an architect, I'm not an architect. And that's okay in a sense, but why not teach something that I might conceivably have to say or that somebody might say to me? And that's where I think, you know, these days in language teaching, we do try to focus on real language. So, what have we got so far? What, what makes a great teacher an inspiring teacher? Um, clearly, I think we both agree that enthusiasm is a really big point. Teachers who have enthusiasm for their subject, that's almost contagious, that makes you enthusiastic for the subject. But to me, also, if I think back to great teachers, particularly Madame Noel, the, the empathy with the class and with individual students, not just seeing students as containers to be filled, but as individuals with individual needs and individual problems. So we've got this idea of enthusiasm, empathy, teachers who are approachable, that you, you can talk to. And this is all... I think, very motivating for the students. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, definitely um, self-motivation is, is an important part of, of this. And it's teachers who can encourage self-motivation. If you can do that in your students, you can really take them further than you could ever do if it was just you motivating them. And the interesting point there is, with self-motivation, teachers are giving students something that they're taking out of the classroom and taking with them and is continuing to motivate them to learn when the teacher is not there. Sure, sure. And because if the students, if my students can only speak English well if they're speaking with me or when I'm around, that's not much use to mm. them. I want them to feel confident and, and to be good at speaking English when I'm not around. In a sense, my aim as a teacher is to put myself out of a job with any individual group mm. of students, that they eventually don't need me. Yeah. And with self-motivation, students going away from class and wanting to continue getting better, to continue being good and to continue learning. I think that's a very, very nice thing about self-motivation. You're yeah. giving students something very powerful outside the classroom. Yeah, definitely. So I guess the next question really is, what have you taken from the teachers that you've known and who have influenced you uh, into your own teaching over the years? I think more than anything else, and not just from the teachers I've learned, but then from other things I've read, it's more important how you are and how you treat your students than what you actually teach. 
Mm. I think the what is secondary to the how. Because if the students don't feel good in your classroom, if they're bored or they feel too much anxiety or stress in your lessons, or just quite simply find you unapproachable and cold, I can't see how they can learn anything. Yeah. So I want my students to enjoy coming to my lessons. I want them to work hard in the lessons and I want them to learn, but I want them to look forward to my lessons. And I think that's what I've got from these teachers, the ones I mentioned and others, quite a few others, I think. I liked how they were in the classroom. I liked their personal engagement with me as a person. I was a person in their classroom, not just a student. And if I had to sum it up in one sentence, I'd say how you teach is more important than what you teach. Sure, yeah. What about you? How would you describe yourself as a teacher? And what what do you try to take from these teachers who inspired you? Well... I guess uh, approachability is is definitely an important thing. And as you say, part of being approachable is actually treating the students as individuals and and getting to know them so that they're comfortable with trying things out in front of you. Uh, But uh, another thing is sort of stepping back to try and take myself out of being the teacher and to have the lesson foregrounded. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not a teacher... The lesson is happening, mm-hmm. and I am helping to make it happen. But the lesson was the most important thing. I'd add something to that. Um, it's one thing I say when I'm working as a teacher trainer. The yeah. point of my existence in a classroom is that the students learn. It's not about me. It's about them. Sure. So everything that we do in the classroom as teachers should be directed at facilitating, enabling learning on the part of the students. And I think that you expressed that in a really nice way. And I'd say something similar myself, that go into the classroom, what can I do that's going to facilitate learning? Not what, what can I do, how can I teach this, but how can they learn it? Yeah. I think that's a nice point. Well, that's all we have time for today. If you managed to listen this far, I hope you enjoyed listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another topic. In the meantime, enjoy teaching. You have been listening to the Catherine and King's College of London ELT podcast. The podcast was presented by Phil Keegan and produced by Will Corner and Oliver Hipkins. The music was composed and performed by Oliver Hipkins, Steve Munns and Phil Keegan.